Uh, my name is Trent. It's a privilege that you have joined us this morning. Thanks for being here. Some of you have come from out of town. Some of you are here because uh, you got drug here or whatever. I'm not sure how you made it, but I'm really, really glad that you did. Um, this is just uh, FYI for you, church family, uh, quickly. Uh, if you walk down the office hallway and you hear something going on in the chapel, that's because a Spanish-speaking church is meeting here today. Emergency. Yes, yes, you can clap for that. Um, we we uh, we try around here uh, for everybody here. We try to say yes um, and to the Lord and to what He does. And so it's kind of an emergency thing. And we um, got that set on Wednesday, and they're in there, and they're good people. And so if you walk by and hear some stuff going on, uh, that's that's what's happening. So I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. More information, we'll st- stick all that out there uh, this week. But wanted to let you know. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides. I think there were some. There's a few left, it looks like, on the sides of the tech booth back there. If you can wander back there and grab one. If, it, uh, if you need to borrow one, feel free to borrow it. If you need to uh, take it with you because you don't have a Bible that you can read and easily understand. It is our gift to you. We will buy more Bibles. That's not a problem. Uh, as uh, Frank mentioned, Kyle mentioned, I'll say this one more time. You would do us a tremendous honor of uh, filling out any information you can, either the little communication card uh, or the tear-off portion of your bulletin, either one of those. Just uh, give it to me or somebody afterwards, and we will be happy to follow up with you this week. If we can pray for you or anything like that, uh, we certainly want to do that. Thank you for that. Uh, what I would like to do is have just a moment where we pray, and then we'll jump into the story, if that's all right. Can we do that together? Uh, okay, so Father, here we are one more time, gathered together, your people. Uh, people who uh, come and, um, for any number of reasons, but people who desperately, whether or not we recognize it, need to hear from you today. And so I pray that by your Spirit you would speak to these who are gathered and uh, open up our eyes to see what we need to see, open up our ears to hear what we need to hear. And uh, God, would you give us an open-heartedness towards the things that are in um, your word today so that we can receive what you have for us. Come and speak, God. That's what we ask. More than anything, we don't need to hear from a man. We don't need to have a religious gathering. We need to hear from you, our creator and our savior. So please come and speak. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, <clears throat> again, I, I'm grateful that you're here, uh, however you ended up here. Uh, I told this story uh, a few weeks ago, I think, um, it's been routine for me um, to get out into our neighborhood early, early in the morning and start walking. Uh, maybe uh, three or four days ago, it seems like moon was bright and beautiful and the uh, skies were clear and it was just simply glorious in the morning. I mean, there's you know hardly any noise and just a touch of wind and um, moon is beautiful. And I don't know about you, but when I encounter beautiful natural things, it, it really is. It's inspiring for me. It kind of takes takes me up a little bit, catches me up a little bit. And that's, that's, a, that's a cool thing. And so I, for me, the response is always joy. Thank you, God, that you made something like that that was that awesome and beautiful and inspiring. Thank you for that. And um, some of you come to Easter, uh, if you've been around church a while, and uh, maybe you uh, put your faith in Jesus and you're following hard after him. Maybe you are part of our church family. Uh, this is what this morning may be like for you. You may see clearly um, the Easter story, and your heart would just burst with joy. Hey, that's awesome. Good. That's really good. Some of you come in and uh, 
your, your, your understanding of Easter and your picture of Easter is a little more, bit more like this morning. This morning I got out and walked, still beautiful moon. It was just kind of hazy though. There were some stratus clouds that were kind of up there. And so you could tell it was a beautiful moon, but you couldn't see it quite clearly. Still see the moon, just not see it quite clearly. Maybe that's where you've come in today, where you're walking in with some questions or some doubts or some fears or some wonderings or some whateverings. Uh, and you just have that kind of thing. It all You can see it. You get it that there's something there, but man, it's kind of hazy and you're not quite so sure um, how, that, how that's going to happen. And if that's you this morning, I just want to give you as um, somebody with questions or somebody with doubts, I want to give you permission to leave here not believing. That's what I want to give you permission to do. But what I'm going to ask for is uh, over the next few minutes that you simply give a hearing to it. Hearing is the first step um, toward believing. And so I'm asking just simply for a hearing. And some of you come in and the pushback is immediately, yeah, well, what about, what about uh, you know, all the other stuff that Christianity has to say and you know, about this, that, and the other, all the ethical questions, all the social questions, all the political questions, blah, 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 blah. what about all that stuff? And here's what, the only thing that I have to offer in this moment is this. All of that stuff is important, it's true, but I want to kind of collect all of that, pick it up, and walk over here and set it to the side for this reason. If Jesus died and rose again from the dead, he at least needs to be heard. And so, it, like, all of that stuff is important, but let's not talk about that yet. Let's just center on this fact that Jesus has died and he has rose from the dead, and he's come back from the dead. And so if, if that then is true, we can talk about all that other stuff in, in conversations to come, but that's... that's just kind of set that aside for now. Uh, the other thing I would simply point out is that you and I, we want this to be true. Church family, we want this to be true. Those of you who are not part of our church family, we want this to be true. Why? J.R.R. Tolkien has this great line in uh, one of his Lord of the Rings books. He says, uh, one of the guy's questions, he said, Gandalf, will everything sad become untrue? That's what we want. Every, we want everything. We want all of the brokenness and messed upness of our world. Anybody notice that the world's a little jacked up these days? We want all of that to become untrue. And so Jesus is the seed of that. He's the firstborn, it says, of the dead. So in other words, he's, he's kind of leading the charge on this, on, on everything, spinning everything um, that is sad to become untrue. And so we want this uh, to be untrue. So here we are. We're picking this up in, in John chapter 11. Um, and central to the story of Christianity. I mean, not just central, like it's the thing. If, if, if this isn't true, then it doesn't really matter what else we say. Central to the story is that Jesus has died and he has come back from the dead and he is resurrected. And we get to uh, see a picture of this in John 11. Now, because we're going to jump in in the middle of the story, we're actually going to start in verse 32. But there's 31 verses before that give a little context. Jesus has three friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick and he dies. People have said, uh, people told him, hey, he's a, uh, they said he's fallen asleep. And all of the followers of Jesus were like, oh good, if he's sleeping, maybe he'll get better. He's just going to sleep right through the flu or whatever it was, right? And Jesus is like, you knuckleheads. I'm talking about he's dead, and you need to know that he's dead so that when we get down there, um, uh, you, you won't be surprised by this. He's dead. Okay, everybody good with that? Okay, he's dead. Everybody gets it. Okay, good. So they waited around a few days. Then they went to see him, and they end up on the outskirts of town. Martha, one of the sisters of Lazarus, comes running out to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus looks at her and says, hey, listen, um, you, your brother's going to rise again. And she said, I know he'll rise again in the last day. But no, Jesus is like, no, no, you need to understand, I am the resurrection and the life. 
She's like, oh, help me believe in that. Let me get a hold of that. Jesus is like, step back and watch what's about to unfold. And so he begins to move closer. Mary, the other sister, hears that Jesus is close. She comes running out, and that's where we pick it up in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? That's what Martha said too. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, just come and see. Verse 35, and then Jesus did what? What did he do? He wept. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Just so that everybody pictures this, this is a picture from uh, Israel of the tomb that they say Lazarus was in. So, you know, this is, this is what we're picturing, okay? This is, everybody got this? this? It's just a cave where they put some bodies, stone rolls in the front. When Jesus came to that place right there, he was deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against us. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And let's pause right there for a second. This story kind of unfolds for me in two um, sections. The first one, I would only describe it as something like this, that Jesus enters. Jesus steps on the scene, right? He walks into the place. And I say that because you and I, if we can wrap our minds around Jesus stepping into the scene, he, he, he comes into the thing, um, steps into this story, then maybe we can picture him stepping into our story too. Um, into what though? Into what did Jesus step? That, that's a good question. And the short answer is into our very and highly imperfect lives. Anybody have an imperfect life in here? Going just like you wanted it to, is it? Okay, great. Jesus steps into Mary and Martha's life and says, hey, listen, uh, your brother's not, he's dead. That's bad, right? And this is, this is not how you imagine it going. And then you weren't here, and so this is not how you imagine it going. So all of the grief, all of the brokenness, all of the pain, all of the mess, all of the hurt, all of the heartache, all of the loss, all of that kind of stuff. Jesus steps into that. Well, I don't know if I'm experiencing pain right now. Okay, good. If, they, if your life is awesome right now, so good. I'm so happy for you. It could be that your life is going great, or it could be that you've figured out a way to numb yourself to the pain you might be feeling. Either way, Jesus is stepping into that scene. He is entering in, and he's entering into our imperfect lives. And furthermore, and this is this for me is, is pretty profound. He enters into the places that we ourselves don't even want to go. Um, in, in verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Anybody a cemetery fan in here? Don't raise your hand because we'll all think you're weird. All right? Like, Jesus is willing to go to that place. Well, I don't know that I want to go to that place. Fine. But Jesus is willing to. 
Jesus is willing to go to the places not only where the brokenness is clear and where, the, where the, uh, uh, the, the pain is real and the hurt is real and the grief is real and the loss is real. He's not only willing to go into that place that's easily identifiable. He's also willing to step into the places of your life and mine where we ourselves are not willing to go. That's a good thing too. That's a good thing that Jesus is willing to do that. Um, because what that means is he is not a God who is disconnected. He is not a God who is uh, distant from all the stuff that's actually going on in our lives. One of the raps that Christianity gets is, hey, listen, uh, you know, this is really uh, just about holding on until we get to heaven. I promise you, heaven's going to be awesome because Jesus is going to be there. But Christianity not only has plenty to say about that, but it has everything to do with the life that we live right now. When Jesus enters, he enters into our very imperfect lives. He's not distant and he's not disconnected. Some of us picture a God who, because of the pain that's surrounding us, would say, oh, if God were real, if he were stepping into our lives, if he were moving my way instead of, you know, just kind of out there doing whatever he's doing, if he's even there at all, um, surely my pain would go away. Surely everything would just be fixed. Because it's not, God must then be either, number one, unaware that I'm in pain and things are not going right in my life, or he just must not care. He must be indifferent. I, I illustrate this this way. Uh, my, I had, some of you picture God like I had a particular encounter with an ER doctor. Uh, the story goes, we were living in a house, uh, our house here, and um, uh, I was tossing the trash out. The trash was outside the door leading from the garage to the backyard. It was just outside. So I go, I kick that door open. I flip the trash out there. And while I'm doing so, I'm holding on to the door jam. Anybody picturing this, where this is going to go? Okay. And so the, the garage door is open and the way the house is, ori uh, the orientation of the house, the wind was blowing and it often blew that door closed except I was far enough out of the way and my finger was not that the wind caught the metal door and blew it upon this finger right here. And I said something when that happened like, ouch. <laughs> and I grabbed it, too scared to look at it. That's the truth. Too scared to look at it. All I knew is that it was pouring blood, pouring it, okay? My wife, she says, uh, hey, listen, you going to be all right? I said, I, I, I think so. Uh, and so I'm, you know, kind of trying to wash it off and bandage it, whatever. And she's like, okay, I'm going to take the kid to soccer. And then, you know, I'll call and check on you, all that kind of stuff. Well, it, it kept getting worse. I kept getting more and more lightheaded, sweat things happening, crazy stuff happening, you know, like things that ought not. Finally, I called one of our church folks who lived just around the corner. I'm like, hey, man, can you take me to the ER? Because I think my finger may be falling off. Uh, he said something like, oh, you pansy. Yes, get in the car. So he comes, gets me. We drive to the thing. I knew it was bad when I walk in, ice pack, whole thing. I'm holding it up here above my heart like they tell us to do or whatever. I'm holding, and the nurse who's checking me in goes, so is it still attached? I'm like, oh, God. I don't know, lady. I haven't looked. Like, are you kidding me? I don't want to look. So we get checked in, checked back. I quit sweating, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the doctor comes in and looks at it and goes, ooh, that's bad. He said, thank you, doc. And so he says, he says we're going to have to stitch this up. And I'm, got, I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, this is, he said, but in order to do so, uh, I've, the cut is so deep, like I can see the bone, like the cut is through the nail bed. 
And I said something just like that. Oh, that sounds pleasant. (laughs) He said, so I'm going to have to lift the nail, stitch you up, and then put the nail back down. And I'm thinking to myself, again, this sounds awesome. This is exactly (laughs) what I wanted to have happen. He said, so I'm going to deaden this. And I thought, well, that's a better plan than not deadening it, so let's go for it. Okay, and okay, nurses, do we have any nurses in here? I know we have a few. Thank you. When you go to give a shot to someone, you are so tender and kind, and for that, all of us are grateful. I just want to say that. And you tend to say something very comforting, like, okay, a little stick here, or okay, this is going to uh, sting just a touch here. Okay, just hold your breath, or whatever it is that you say, right? And we're all really comforted by that, and we walk away going, oh, that wasn't so bad. Doctor rolls in, he's got his setup, stitching stuff, and he looks at me and he goes, hey man, there's about four jillion nerve endings in the end of your finger. Did you know that? So he looks at me and he goes, hey man, this is going to hurt. Try to hold still. Why, thank you. So he sticks his hand on top of my hand like this and then puts lidocaine right into the end of my finger right there. And I said something like, gosh, that hurts. (laughs) And I promise you, had I dipped my finger in boiling acid, it would have not hurt less than that. It lit up. Unbelievable. And it's got stitched and all is fine in the world. But for those like five seconds or something, the world was on fire. I'm just telling you it was on fire. I tell you that little story for this reason. Some of you picture God just like that. You picture a God who is going to roll up on you and see your life as a wreck and goes, hey, this is going to hurt. Try to hold still. And he remains, if, he, if he's aware at all of how bad it actually hurts, he remains indifferent to your pain. Let's just get this thing done. I've got another guy in the next room. The problem with that conception of God is it doesn't fit anything that like what we see here. Can I just point a couple of things out one more time? Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he said, hey, this is going to hurt. Just try to hold still. Now, what did he say? He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. There was something so far down in him that the, the Bible struggles to find words. He was deeply moved somewhere deep down inside of him. And then when he went, he saw them weeping, and then he himself wept. See, our our situation and my pain, it doesn't change God's disposition towards me. Even if there are times when he acts in ways that we don't understand, like staying away when he could have come and helped, even when he commands us to do things that we don't necessarily understand, roll the stone away. It's going to stink. That stuff doesn't change his disposition toward us. What is that disposition? He steps into our lives, but how is he interacting when he's there? And the answer is, what or why did he enter in? Because of his great love for us. So he says in verse 36, so the Jews says, said, see how he loved him. 
Why did he step in? Why did he enter in? Because of his love that he has for people. He enters our lives because of love. Now, the good news is is that he doesn't love us as we think that we are. And he doesn't love us as we wish that we were. And he doesn't love us as we pretend to be. Can you just picture Mary? Martha's already had her moment. Mary is at the feet of Jesus weeping. I mean, full-on ugly cry, right? She's a god-awful mess right there in front of God the Son. And he doesn't say, hey, look, clean yourself up. How are we going to get a selfie if you're looking like that? I mean, she doesn't have much to offer. Lazarus, because it says specifically, see how he loved him. Lazarus is dead. He really has nothing to offer. So it's not the, the me that I think that I am or the me that I wish that I was or the me that I pretend to be. It's just me. That's the me that Jesus loves. It's not the you that you think that you are or the you that you wish that you were or the you that you pretend to be. It's just you. That's who he loves. It's just you. He loves you just as you are. And he's big enough to handle our questions and he's big enough to handle our doubts and he's big enough to deal with our grief and our pain and all of that ramped in. I love this verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Good news. Jesus didn't go, oh, forget it then. If you're going to critique me, I'm out. He entered in, folks, and he stuck. And he entered in and he stuck because of his great love for those people. And he enters into our lives and he sticks. He stays because of his great love for you and for me. He's willing to cut through all of that to deal with our deepest need to the glory of God. And so we think to ourselves, well, but man, you talk about brokenness. It's more like shatteredness around here. Well, good news. And this is from Psalm 51. Can we get that verse up, Psalm 51? A broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you do not despise. He actually moves toward that. It's almost magnetic for him. So if you rolled in today and you're like, man, shatteredness, good news, Jesus is entering in, and he's entering in because he has great love for you and for me. And because he's willing to deal with that and put up with all the things that come with it, he's willing to deal with our deepest need, and he does so for the glory of God. Thus he asked Martha in verse 40, Hey, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And then he begins to put the glory of God on display. How does he do that? He does that through this next little part where he makes an offer. He makes an offer here, and he makes an offer for you and for me. Let's pick up the story in verse 43. Um, And when he had said these things... He cried out with a loud voice. He's already gone to the tomb, already rolled the stone away. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. That that picture we showed just a minute ago, they pulled the stone away. Normally you see people going into a tomb. Normally you see caskets being lowered down into the ground. This is a moment where all of that got reversed, where everything sad became untrue. He walked out of the tomb. Lazarus, the man who had died, came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus comes to us and he offers something incredible. He's willing to deal with our deepest need to the glory of God. And the offer is life. 
What are we talking about? Uh, We're talking about life. We're talking about a kind of life that's not just breathing in existence here. We're talking about the deepest needs of our heart um, uh, being met by Jesus. And so Lazarus' deepest need uh, at that point was not perfuming or some eulogy, right? I mean, you couldn't have rolled in enough uh, spices and whatever else uh, to make that deal smell good. Some things just stink. It doesn't matter how much you spray Lysol, right? Lazarus' deepest need at that point was not to not be stinky. Lazarus' deepest need at that point was not to have Jesus come and speak some eloquent words over him, eulogy, right? Some sort of external change, some sort of peripheral change is not our deepest need. Some sort of words that are said that may or may not make sense to us now or later That's not our deepest need. Lazarus' deepest need in that moment, laying there dead, is that he needed what? Life. And some people approach following Jesus that same way. Oh, there's some nice words that may or may not make sense. Oh, there's some external changes that may or may not uh, uh, make me a better person. That's how they understand following Jesus. And I'm here to offer, that's not Christianity at all. It may be what you have experienced of something that was masquerading as Christianity, but Christianity is far different than that. Christianity, I mean, it's not about making bad people good. I mean, there are all sorts of projects out there that can make bad people good, or at least good for a little bit, at least externally good in some way. Christianity is dealing with the deepest part of who we are, the, the, the most profound part of who we are, and at our core, we like Lazarus, Lazarus are spiritually dead and separated from God. So our biggest need then is not nice words or uh, some sort of external change. That's why Christianity is not about bad people becoming good. It is about dead people becoming alive. And that's who we are. As a people who gathered and followed Jesus, we say we are a people made alive spiritually, made alive spiritually by him. The the best way, I actually used this uh, as an illustration last week in our new members class. The best way I know to picture this is this this guy right here. See if you recognize this TV character. Anybody? Alan Alda playing Hawkeye Pierce. Okay, so if any of you don't know who Alan Alda playing Hawkeye Pierce, this is from the series MASH. uh, Greatest, uh, as far as I'm concerned, kind of comical series of all time. They were some sort of funny and still dealt with serious stuff back when art was actually art. That wasn't necessary, was it? Sorry. (laughs) Nonetheless, okay, so Alan, the the basic story is he's a surgeon in the uh, mobile army surgical hospital, the 4077, and they have all sorts of storylines between the uh, the characters there and other people coming in. In season three, episode five, my favorite episode called OR, um, Hawkeye, they're overrun with uh, casualties and they're doing all this surgery and stuff and Hawkeye is working on one particular person, and uh, the nurse says, doctor, I've lost his pulse. He says, what do you mean you've lost his pulse? He was doing just fine. What's going on? Doctor, I don't have a pulse. Are you, are you uh, breathing for him? Yes, I'm breathing for him. I don't have a pulse. Adrenaline. He comes with adrenaline, stabs the guy, you know, pushes the adrenaline into his, his, uh, uh, into his heart so that the, hopefully jumpstart that. Nothing. Henry, um, Colonel Blake, comes over. He's like, what's going on, Hawkeye? Well, we lost a pulse, da, da, da. they're working, working, working. Finally, he goes, give me a scalpel and a rib spreader. And a scalpel and a rib spreader show up, 
The colonel looks at um, Hawkeye and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to give him an open heart manual massage. From the other table, Trapper pipes up and goes, he's never done that. We've, uh, we've never done that before in here. Hawkeye says, this guy's never done it either. And they keep going forward. It's kind of the comedy of that. And sure enough, man, you see him kind of behind the curtain, slice the guy open and crank his chest and shove his hand up in there. And he starts squeezing, just starts squeezing, working on it. After a pregnant pause for the dramatic sake, the nurse goes, I'm getting something. He keeps working. He keeps working. I'm getting something. He keeps working. Okay, it's, it's, uh, the blood pressure is this over that. Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You can do better. It keeps working. Henry says, oh, I'm getting a pulse. It's getting stronger. And finally, Hawkeye goes, oh, it's beating on its own now. Henry says, I'll close up for you. Hawkeye goes and sits down. And from off camera, Henry says, that's the most fantastic thing I've ever seen. I put that before you as a picture for this reason. You and me, spiritually dead. If there's not a power from outside of us to step into our lives and take our heart and cause it to start beating, we will remain dead. The good news, though, Jesus has entered in, and he's entered in because of his great love for you and for me. And he has walked onto the scene, and he is willing to go to places and do things that we weren't willing to do, including cracking us open, jamming his hand down right into the center of who we are and saying, I want life to come here. I'm going to act in such a way, I'm going to move in such a way that life happens. We can't do that ourselves. Lazarus didn't raise himself from the dead. Jesus had to come, and outside an external power had to reach into his life and cause him to breathe again. So it is with you and me spiritually. We, we can't fix ourselves. It's way beyond that. Our, our death, our spiritual death, is real and it's significant, and we need a power from outside of us to reach in and grab our hearts and make them beat. And good news, that's what Jesus offers. He offers life. He's not going to deal with all the external stuff, just pageantry out there. He he wants to deal with the deepest part and the deepest need of our hearts. He offers life. Second thing, and I love this, verse 44, the man who had died, he came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. He could have said, hey man, I'm glad you're out. Hope everything's going to be all right from now on. Some people think that Christianity is very much like that. uh, Well, you know, now that God has saved me from my sin and forgiven me of my sin and given me life, I'm just going to hold on to heaven until I die. But Jesus doesn't, I mean, if, if he stopped only with life, it would still be an incredible deal for us. But it's more than that. He not only offers life, he offers freedom. And that is a transformed life that gets to walk in the ways that he has for us, that gets to live out the things that he has for us. He told him, hey, take the stuff off of him, unbind him, and let him go. We are free. He calls us to freedom. He offers us freedom from the things that keep us bound to our old way of life. So much so that later in the Bible, uh, it it would say this, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things have passed away 
and new things have come. We don't have to live like we used to live. We don't have to live bound up to the things that that kept reminding us and kept us tied to our old way of life. We get to live according to what God desires for us. We get to live a transformed kind of life. We get to be free from our sin, yes. Be free from our shame, yes. Be free from um, addiction and bondage and hurt and anger and all that other stuff. We get to to live free from those things. Well, this just sounds like a self-improvement plan. It's way bigger than that because we're not starting at some external thing and then going, oh, just change this and everything will be fine. We're talking about a major and entire, if you will, shift on the inside that changes us from the inside out. We get to lay all of that stuff down. We get to live free. Jesus offers that. Well, how dare he offer that? Well, he dare offer it because he is the one. This this story is just a picture of what's going to happen later in the Bible, in the, uh, the Gospel of John. The story is just a picture. Because later, just a few chapters later, it's not Lazarus going to the tomb, it's Jesus. He came and he died on a cross. He entered into our world and he died on a cross. And they laid him in a tomb. And three days later, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. And he offers us life and freedom because He is the one who has been there. And he is the one who has come back victoriously. So if you're here this morning and you're part of our church family, you see that clear. That moon is just beaming up there. That's such a crystal clear picture for you. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And I hope you break the walls down because your heart is exploding with joy. If you're here this morning, maybe that haze still kind of hangs over the moon. You've got questions. You've got things that are maybe beginning to crystallize for you. I'm going to invite you to come towards the back. I'll be at that table right back there. And uh, I would love to talk with you, pray with you. Maybe you just want to hand me something saying, hey, can we set up a time to have a cup of coffee or something where we can uh, uh, talk more about this? Because if God's blowing, if you will, the clouds away from the moon and you're starting to see th- some things clearly, now's the time to respond. Now's the time to turn away. Jesus can offer these things. Because he's been there. He can give you forgiveness for your sin. He can set you free from your guilt and shame. And he can give you a life that lasts forever. So I'm going to pray and then we'll respond, okay? Would you join me? Well, Father, as we kind of settle in here for a moment, I I pray that um, you would continue to work and do the things that you desire to do. And even, Father, that you need to do in us. Some of us came this morning, we're not even sure what needs to happen. Just make that clear. Uh, Father, some of us came this morning, and um, things are clear. Lord, help us to joyfully celebrate. Some of us came this morning, Father, and we have more questions now than ever. Minister to us. We commit all of this to you now. We ask that you would work in a way that helps us make sense of these things. Draw us close to you even in this moment. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.